Good morning, everybody. Um, so it, it's, um, as we're appreciating Chad, one more thing I appreciate about Chad is his humility. Um, I've worked with a lot of pastors and been around a lot of churches, and it's not uh, easy for pastors to give up the pulpit. Um, so I was thinking about that last week, actually, when Chad wasn't here and Aaron was preaching and did an amazing job with a testimony, which is always very intimidating to follow somebody who does an amazing job. But um, it's special that you let some of us share gifts every once in a while, and I really appreciate that. Um, it demonstrates a large amount of humility, and um, I think that's critical uh, to your success in your role. So thank you for that. Um, okay, today we are going to talk about missional living, uh, which is a sermon Chad gave three or three weeks ago in one of our core principles at Valley, uh, what it means to live like a missionary. So our text is John chapter 15, starting in verse 12, and then we'll flip over to 1 Corinthians. John 15, 12, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you what you've asked in my name. This is my command. Love one another. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those who do not have law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by some means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. I've never met a Christian who didn't, um, who would argue that you're not supposed to share the gospel. Everybody believes you're supposed to talk about Jesus and share Jesus and invite people to be a part of this community. The question has always been, how? What's the method? And when we talk about missional living, that's really the conversation we're having. The conversation we're having is about how. It's not about should we or shouldn't we. And today, what I want to do is walk you through my evolution of the how. And my understanding of the how. Um, Through five short stories that were real to me. uh, Were real to me because they happened. I don't even know what that means. Five short stories uh, that are my experience. The stories um, each kind of mark a point in my life where I changed my understanding of evangelism or what it means to live as a missionary of Jesus in the world. 
So um, I'm really nervous today, and part of the reason I'm nervous is because uh, I don't like giving testimonies. Um, I'd much rather take a passage of Scripture and work through it, because then I have it to lean on. When Chad asked me to get up and talk about my experience, I was like, oh. <laughs> um, so, some disclaimers before we start. First, uh, I am giving a testimony today. So this is my experience. Um, it may not be yours. And uh, other people in this room might have different experiences, but I appreciate the ability to come and just stand before you and talk about where I'm at with these concepts um, and with these ideas. Second, second disclaimer uh, is that I made sure when I picked these stories that they all happened when I wasn't serving as a pastor. So I, it always drove me crazy when pastors would give testimony about people they led to Jesus because it was this like, well, of course you did. You're, that's your job, <laughs> which is not actually their job. That's a different conversation. But that's what I thought. So all of these stories happened when I wasn't serving as a pastor. Um, third thing is all of these stories happened except for the very first one, which happened when I was a teenager. But after that one, all of these stories happened while I was a part of Valley and while I was a member here. Um, all of these stories have Valley influenced in them deeply because I was part of this community when they happened. So those are my disclaimers. Um, these are my opinions. They happened when I wasn't a pastor and uh, they all happened while I was a member of Valley. So, oh, last disclaimer. I'm gonna take out people's names um, not because I'm going to share anything embarrassing about anybody, but because it's, their stories aren't my stories to share. And, I, you know, I, I fully understand that how I see a story may be radically different than how somebody else sees a story. So these are my perspectives of what happened, and therefore I'm going to just call people by letters and not by names. I don't want you to be freaked out when I start calling somebody K. Um, I do know people's names. So, <laughs> but we're not going to use them today because that's not fair. Um, so let's get started. The first, thinking about this idea of what does it mean to share the gospel and what does it mean, that contradiction between Jesus' command in John 15, which is a very powerful passage in which he says, this is my command. My one thing. Love people. And then combining that with Paul, who says, look, I, in my understanding of loving people is to Join them where they are and take on every aspect of they so that I might win some. When I was a teenager growing up in Louisiana, um, in a beautifully um, Southern Baptist, very conservative church, my understanding of what it meant to love people and win some was that I was supposed to get them to say these magic words which was, I invite Jesus into my heart and I confess my sins. And then I was supposed to get them into the magic water and get them baptized. And that was going to fix everything. That was my understanding as a teenager. No one gave me that understanding. Nobody was like, Jeff, get them to say the words and dunk them in the water. But just from being around the church, this is what I saw. Like, this is what we celebrated. And when somebody came up to talk about radical transformation, the ones that we loved were like, 
I was an alcoholic who was drinking and on drugs and I gave my life to Jesus and all of that was gone and now I'm free. And that, those are amazing stories. I'm not discounting those stories, but I'm saying from looking at those as the pinnacle of what missional living meant, that's what I took away from it. And I remember the first time that my understanding of missional living was radically changed was when somebody in our church decided, you know what we need to start doing? We need to start doing house visits. And we're going to get together in a group and we're going to go house to house to house in our neighborhood and we're going to share Jesus with all of our neighbors. And in my mind, what that meant was, I'm going to walk into a house, and as the teenage detective that I was, I'm going to purvey the living room and determine the sins. Maybe there was drinking. Is there alcohol here? I was a Southern Baptist. Is there inappropriate music playing? Are they listening to something besides DC talk? Because if they are, they might be sinning. What's on the refrigerator? And I imagine myself being this sin detective and coming in and saying, you know, here's the problem with your life is that you have these sins. And if we can just move these sins out of the way, if you can repent of those sins and ask for forgiveness, confess that you're doing this terrible stuff, then everything's going to be made right. And you can come to our church and you can be baptized and you can become part of our church and all your problems are going to be fixed. And I remember going to the first house with the adult that I was with. And we walked in and we were talking and the people invited us in and they set us down on the couch and I was looking around the room. And the adult I was with was a man I really respected and I knew that he was looking around the room because he did this right. And he said to these people, hey, we're just walking around praying for people. How can we pray for you? And I had this reaction. I was like, that's not what we're doing. But I was like, good start. Good start. Lead them in. Um, and uh, he, they started talking right off the bat about, we don't know that we're going to pay our mortgage this month. We're really afraid of that. And we're nervous about whether we're going to pay our electric bill. And our kids in college and we can't afford to keep him there and financial concerns are really weighing on us and my the adult that was with me was like that's heavy let's pray for that stuff we pray together and then they looked up and they were like thank you and he was like you're welcome and then he got up to leave. And I was really confused. Because I was like, no, 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 no. Now you tell them that the reason that they are broken is because they're sinners and there's something wrong with them. And that they should come back to the church. And we, he did this house after house after house after house. And on about the fifth house, sixth house, because I'm a little hard-headed and it took me some time, I started to understand that this was actually the point. And that when he had said, we're going to go door to door and share the love of Jesus with people, this is what he meant. He didn't mean that we were going to be sin detectives looking for sin, finding sins, pointing those sins out to people and telling them, you need to change in order to be accepted. What he meant was, I'm going to go house to house looking for suffering and find ways to share that love. And that was my first evolution in evangelism. 
Look for suffering, not sin. If you want to be like Jesus, if we want to be like Jesus, we don't walk around pointing out people's sins. We walk around finding where they're hurting and bringing love to that moment. So, it brings to mind the passage in the Gospels where Jesus is at a party. And the greatest sin detectors in history, the Pharisees, are very confused. Because Jesus is at a party with a group of people who they have deemed sinners. People whose lives are they have deemed out of the norm. People who are outside of what religious culture demands. And people who are radically um, off course in the Pharisees' opinion. And the Pharisees really want these people to get their acts together so that they can come back into the religious context. That's what the Pharisees want. And sitting at this party, Jesus says, they go, they don't go to Jesus, which is a great moment in the scripture. They don't go complain to Jesus about Jesus being at the party. They go to his disciples, which is fantastic. And they're like, your boss over there is out of line. And Jesus then answers them, even though they're complaining to the disciples, and says, look, I came here for people who are sick, not people who are well. Which means to me, and I think there's a little bit of interpretation around well because of what comes next, because of what Jesus says, but I think well should be in quotes. I came for people who are sick, not for people who think they are well. And there's a message here for us about missional living, is that when Jesus came, he came looking for people who were in need of healing, not waiting for people to be healed and then talking to them. Right? The first lesson I learned about evangelism is that you look for suffering, not for sin. Story number two. Story number two happened when I was in college. Uh, In college, I was part of this super charismatic church um, that uh, was fun uh, and a little uncomfortable for this Southern Baptist kid. And we were super evangelistic. We were constantly looking for people to bring to Jesus, constantly looking for people to share the love of Jesus with. And still, by share the love of Jesus, even though I had started to evolve a little bit, for me, that still meant get him to say the magic words and get in the magic water, and then we win. That's what Paul means by winsome. And so I was at college, and my roommate, um, Zach, whose name, he won't care me sharing this. My roommate, Zach, uh, met this guy named Kay in biology class. And I remember the first time Zach came back to our apartment, he was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Jeff, Kay isn't saved. And I was like, we're on it. And so... Zach and I fully adopted Kay into our lives. We started praying for him every morning, praying for him every night. Jesus, please let Kay come know you. We started enveloping Kay in our lives. If we were going out to eat, we were bringing Kay with us. If we were going to a party, we were bringing Kay to that party. If we were having a Bible study, we were definitely inviting Kay to that Bible study. And we were asking Kay to come to church every morning. Kay was incredibly lonely. He was from another country. He felt very out of place, and he was still working on his English. So Kay loved that he was being embraced and accepted. And after about five months of us engaging with Kay, Kay decided, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. 
We were in church. He was sitting on the front row with me. And I remember this because Zach had sat all the way in the back. And after the preacher's sermon, Kay turned over to me and he said, I, I think I want to do this Jesus thing. And I was like, seriously? And he was like, yeah. I was like, no way. He was like, yeah. And I was like, let's get a pastor. So I stood up and I was so excited. I wanted to find Zach because I, I knew Zach would want to be a part of this. So I looked at Kay and I said, stay right here. And I looked back in the back and this was a huge church, right? Like it was a big church, but we still had pews. And so I looked back in the back and Zach was all the way. He was leaving. I was like, Zach, Zach. And these old people were looking at me like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, you don't understand. Kay wants to get saved. And so I, I actually started jumping the pews. Like I was running. I got a lot of bad looks and a pastor did pull me aside afterwards and tell me not to do that again. And I found Zach in the back and we ran down and we got Kay and we took Kay to this back room and the pastor prayed for Kay and we were all super excited and Kay accepted Jesus, which was amazing. And then the next day we had a big party. It was great. And then two weeks later we left for the summer semester. And then when we came back the next fall, Zach and I were talking and praying and Zach had met this guy named A and A didn't know Jesus. And so we started praying every night for A and we started bringing A to all of our events and meetings. And we started hanging out with A and we even did a fast for A. We were going to fast for A to get saved. And about four weeks into that, I ran into K on campus It's like, hey, where have you been? And Kay was like, I've been around. I'm like, dude, why haven't you been coming to church? And Kay was like, well, I was talking to some new friends. And they explained to me that the only reason you guys were hanging out with me is so that I would get saved. And I was like, no. And I tried to be friends with Kay after that. We actually did develop a friendship over the next three years of college. Kay never came back to that moment of faith. Uh, I even visited him in his home country at one point and hung out with him there. And uh, he was so far from any form of belief. And it was at that point that I learned the second major principle that has helped me understand missional living, which is make the only agenda love. If there's any other agenda, you're not really doing it right. We're not doing it right. The only agenda can be love. And here's the thing. When we look at Paul's verses and he says... I do all things to win some. We have to understand that every aspect of Paul's letters, and Paul, I believe, would firmly agree with this, every aspect of his letters has to be interpreted through the lens of Jesus. So in the end of that passage where Paul says this really confusing thing where he says, to the lawless I become one without law, even though I am under the law of God, the law of God he's talking about is John 15. Where Jesus says, my one commandment is this, you love one another. 
Paul's understanding of evangelism is couched in love. And so he has this win language, but because it's couched in Jesus' win, it doesn't have an agenda to it. And we need to understand that. That when we approach the world and this understanding of missional living, the only agenda we can have is love. Because everything else taints it. And everything else makes it about number four, which I'll get to in a minute. So number three. Number three is about Jay. I was home for a summer here at Valley uh, in between um, semesters at college. And I, w- I don't even remember why I was out, but I was out at like 1.30 in the morning doing something stupid. And I went into this gas station and it, it was, I, you know, because I didn't know any better. I was using premium gas because it has the word premium. So even though I was putting it in this piece of crap car and there's this guy behind the counter and I go to pay for it and he says to me, he goes, hey, you, I, I hate to break this to you. He goes, but I'm the guy that fills the tanks and I don't pay that much attention to what gas goes and what tanks. So it doesn't, I don't know that you actually got premium gas. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I think that's illegal. So that's how Jay and I met. We struck up a friendship. He asked me if he could call me to hang out. And I, on hindsight, I think he wanted to sell me drugs. Um, and we did start hanging out. And we'd go to dinner a lot. And we'd talk. And I learned that Jay uh, was my age but was struggling with a heroin addiction. And I learned that Jay um, was all alone in life. His parents had kind of abandoned him. And he was living in this apartment with his with a bunch of friends. And Jay and I hung out for a while. And I really grew to like Jay. And I was just loving Jay wherever I could and appropriately did not have an agenda. But... Our conversations would turn to Jesus, just naturally, because it was on Jay's mind a lot. Jay was actually thinking about it, and I didn't even have to talk about it. He would just want to talk about it. And finally, one day, Jay, who was also in AA, or maybe NA, one of those anonymous groups and had had a mentor who was also working him through a lot of stuff called me and said hey man i think i need to start getting my life together and get get into the church community he's like how do i do that and i said well it starts with these magic words and i said we have to do those in the church because that's where my head was and so i called my little brother because I was pumped about him being a part of this too. And I was like, hey, come and meet Jay and I at Valley. We're going to have this cool moment in the church sanctuary where we sit on the church sanctuary steps and we're like, yeah, Jay's going to get saved. And Jay drove up here and my little brother drove up here and it was raining hard like it is now. And we tried every door to this building and they were all locked. We could not get inside. And we were soaking wet. And I was so disappointed. And I was like, well, I guess we must, we probably need to wait for Sunday because salvation is, happens in the church. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. And I remember Jay was like, can't we just do whatever this is right now? And I was like, I guess we can. And so we went out under the covered steps out front there and we sat down on those steps and 
we had this conversation and he prayed to accept Jesus into his life and it was an amazing moment. And it occurred to me, my third lesson about evangelism, not only is do you look for suffering, not love, and not only do you have no agenda, the third one is, is that you've got to understand that God is at work everywhere, not just in the church. And as I reflect back on my relationship with Jay, I understand that I never actually brought up Jesus to Jay. Jay wanted to talk about that. I never brought up to Jay about joining the church. To be honest, I was too busy judging Jay for his heroin use to bring up joining the church. But Jay brought up all of that. And so it helped me start to see that missional living, as Chad said several weeks ago, isn't about generating something new. It's about joining God in what he's already doing in the world around us. That the Holy Spirit is at work in the world around us. The Holy Spirit is in the midst of people who are suffering, helping to bring healing and love to them. And our job as missionaries of Jesus is to join in what's happening. Look for the suffering with no agenda and bring that love in there because the Holy Spirit is already present and working. Right? And that gives us this great freedom because we just get to participate in something already going on. You don't have to be some hero of the faith. You don't have to be Paul. You can just be you. Because it's actually the work of the Holy Spirit and you just get to play around. Fourth thing, fourth, fourth short story. I learned about missional living. I was hanging out with uh, a guy from work named M. And M and I have kind of been a little contentious at times. Not really, um, I wouldn't call us buddies. But we had this one night in Chicago where we went walking around the city. And we were together in Chicago for hours, walking around, talking. And uh, talking about his life and um, his girlfriends and his passion for music. And just getting to know him and me talking about my kids and my life and um, how I love writing. And, and we finally end up back at this bar... Uh, at the hotel bar and we're sitting at this at the bar and we're still talking and he starts talking about his struggle with faith and his struggle with understanding God and again just like Jay and the truth is just like Kay I didn't actually bring anything up he did because the Holy Spirit was already at work in his life and all I had to do was be available and love, and it shows up. And I encouraged it. I was like, yeah, that's cool. I was a little nervous, and I gave him a little bit of a disclaimer. I was like, look, we're work friends, and religion at work is weird. I said, but we're also hanging out post-work at a bar, so I'm just going to assume this is okay. (laughs) Disclaimer made. Um, And he went on to talk about how he struggles with things in the Bible and understanding the world around him. And I went on to share how I see those same things in the Bible and see them differently than he does and how they actually, I think, generate a strong worldview um, of reality. And, you know, he didn't get saved in that moment, but it was a pretty powerful moment for both of us 
And we talked for a good two hours about the Bible and what the Bible says and who Jesus is. And it was really cool because I got to participate in this conversation the Holy Spirit was already having with him. And I got for about a couple hours, I got to be a part of what the Holy Spirit was doing in this guy's life. And that was really cool. And then I messed it up. Because then, right toward the end of the night, he says, Dude, where did you get all of this? The appropriate answer is Jesus. Because that's what's true. Because the Holy Spirit's been at work in my life since before I can remember shaping my understanding and me being open to it. So that's the appropriate answer in case anybody ever asks you. The answer I gave was, I'm just really smart. I didn't say it that way, but that's pretty much what I said. Learning, study, I read lots of books, I'm very intelligent. I have lots of plaques on my wall. Um, And the problem with that is, is what I immediately did unconsciously, but also a little consciously, was say, I can do this, but you cannot. I am special, and you are learning from me. And I put myself into the story. The Holy Spirit and M were having this great conversation about life and the world and what it meant and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and all the struggles M had had around that. And into that conversation, I inserted me. And I said, I'm a part of this. I had gotten rid of my agenda, but I hadn't learned yet to take myself out of the story. I hadn't learned yet that I was, it was actually a privilege for me to be a part of that. And it was the weirdest thing, because I'm sitting there talking to him, and the minute I started talking about me, I actually had this weird spiritual feeling that we get sometimes. And it felt like the Holy Spirit was getting up from the bar and being like, I'm going to bed. And the conversation went really flat after that, and it went bad. It was, you know, I have full faith that the Holy Spirit picked it up with somebody else in him later. But this is this was the third lesson that I learned. The third thing I needed I needed to know is that I'm joining a conversation, and that that conversation is not about me. Fourth thing I needed to know: I'm joining a conversation, and that conversation is not about me. So for my fifth and last short story, I'm going to talk about my most recent experience where I felt like I was in line with who Jesus is. And um, about two years ago, I was, I was having this moment where the Holy Spirit was telling me over and over again, you need to find a friend. And I was being kind of a jerk about it. I don't find a friend. I don't find a friend. And the Holy Spirit was like, you need to find a friend. And so... I went to one of my kids' sporting events, and I looked around, and I went, that person's cool. I'm going to go be friends with C over there. I like C. I'm going to be friends with C. So I walked over to C, and I said, hey, 
I need a friend. What I didn't say is internalize that the Holy Spirit totally just keeps telling me I need a friend and I'm really lonely. So like, hey, I don't have any friends in the neighborhood right now. I need a friend. You want to go get a beer? And she was like, I'd, lo- I'd love that. I was like, great, let's do that. So she and I had uh, started hanging out and had a um, built a really strong friendship. Turns out we have a lot in common, and they are as cool as I thought they were on the outside. Um, she is amazing, an amazing person. Um, it took me about a year to figure out that she is transgendered. Um, the early Jeff that started these stories would not be okay with that. Because the, the sin detective Jeff, the teenage sin detector, all of my sin detector alarms would be going off. This person is outside of religious norms. Because I've come to a place where I understand now that I'm looking for people who are suffering as much as I am, just to be clear, in the C relationship, I was the one suffering, not them. But the truth is we're all suffering. When I started understanding that I was suffering, and I, I'm looking for suffering to bring love to, with no agenda, besides just being obedient to the call of God that we are to be love, his one commandment, love one another. When I started understanding that God is at work everywhere, not just with me, and that it's not actually about me, it opened me up to this beautiful and brand new relationship with C. And I was able to put my sin detective away and was able to just appreciate C who C is. And I think that's, you know, I gotta say, and I'm gonna take a little side note here. We're at our best when we're accepting. I was talking with a friend actually just this morning on chat. He grew up here in the church. His name's uh, Tawe. And he's now um, a Rhodes Scholar in Europe and was just touring concentration camps. And he was texting me this morning that he's uncomfortable with how close the concentration camp where Anne Frank died is to the church where Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the wall. The founding of Protestantism and the concentration camp where Anne Frank died are uncomfortably close to each other. And we were texting back and forth, and it occurred to both of us this morning. Christianity, our faith, turns bad when we stop loving all people and start loving our people. When we put on that sin detective hat, that's when things start to go south. Anyway, back to C. C introduced me to their wife. C's wife introduced me to their community. And two weeks ago, the the Louisiana teenager who grew up in a small Southern Baptist church was sitting in a room with a large group of people from the LGBTQ community hearing about a way that they are suffering. 
They were there to talk to me in the place I work with about how difficult it is for them to get a therapist that they can trust. Because so many therapists are sin detectives. And how hard it is to just talk about things like, my mom died and I need to grieve. I don't want to talk about other stuff in my life. I want to talk about my mom dying and my need to grieve. But because this therapist is a sin detective, all the therapist wants to talk about is what the therapist sees as a sin. And so I'm sitting there with this group of people from the LGBTQ community, and I'm writing down their stories because our job is to train therapists so that therapists can stop being jerks. We actually started calling the training we're building, Don't Be a Jerk. And it occurred to me how weird this is. And how if I were to write this in a novel, people would say it was ridiculous. That an ex-Southern Baptist pastor would be the person behind working with the LGBTQ community to make sure that they are supported in the world. But then I think about what it is to live visually. And I understand that God is at work everywhere, not just in the church. And our job is not to be sin detectives, but to obey the one command he gave, which is, how do we love? So there's this great moment where I'm sitting with a small group of them, because we broke into small groups so we could get more detailed into their stories, and I'm sitting with a small group of them, and it is clear that I am the bad guy. Because I represent, as a cis white male, the people that treat them the worst. And so I took a second, and I remembered what it means to love, and I said, look, I'm not here to judge you, and I can't possibly understand your pain. I don't know what it is to feel unsafe. I always feel safe in the world. My hope is that I can support you and build something that will encourage others to support you as well. And at that moment, the walls came down and the stories came out. I learned so much and got to experience these beautiful people's lives. And it was at that moment that I was like, you know, if I rewind through my story and I think about all the times that I've shared Jesus with people or shared Jesus' love with people, where would he be? Is the place where I feel most like Jesus preaching from the pulpit? It's not. I was most like Jesus when I was sitting in that room with people from the LGBT community. Because if Jesus were here today, that's where he'd be. With people who are suffering, who are in need of love. So these are my five learnings about missional living. And this is how missional living is adapted for me. Constantly on the hunt for suffering and pain. Because I know that the Holy Spirit is already at work there. 
It's not about what I bring. It's about what the Holy Spirit is already doing in places of suffering and pain. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, you you go to the suffering. And when you go, you're not allowed to be a sin detective. Because that's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to love. We are not to be pointing out all the sins. Because just like with the tax collector Levi, Jesus didn't talk to him about how problematic it was that he was a Jewish tax collector. And just like in the party at Levi's house, Jesus was at the party with people who needed acceptance and love, not talking to them about their sin, just being present with them. We look for suffering, not sins. We make love our only agenda while we're there. We understand that God is already at work in the place that we are, and our our job is to listen and pay attention for what he's doing. And like with C, it may take years to see where God wants you in that moment. We need to be understanding that when we join the conversation, it's not actually about us. If we start marking notches on our belt, if we start bragging about how many people we've helped find Jesus' love, that makes it all about us. Don't be college, Jeff. And the fifth and final thing is what I learned about being with C is that you have to be ready to go places you never would have expected to go. When I was in seminary, studying to be a pastor, if you had told me that I would be sitting with a large community of LGBTQ people talking about how to fix therapy so that they can feel loved and accepted, I would have told you you're insane. That's not what I'm doing in seminary. Right? Be ready. Because the Holy Spirit wants you to go places that you are not comfortable in and aren't ready to be in. He wants to take you there. Because that's where he is. And he wants you to be with him. Right? So just be ready. And here's the beautiful thing that I can say builds into the chat series about radical transformation for me is that this story for me is a story of radical transformation. From a sin detective to somebody who's actually helping and loving in the world. Right? From somebody that I would say Jesus had to work around to somebody who actually sees Jesus at work. Radical transformation happens when we put ourselves in places that we don't expect. When we follow the Holy Spirit's leading, nudging, blindly, without question, without hesitation, understanding that he's already at work in places and he's just allowing us to participate in that. Okay, let's end with a prayer and a blessing and then Chad and Callie are going to come up and uh, if anyone needs prayer today or if anyone is suffering and needs just a a shot of love in the arm, it's one of Chad and Callie's spiritual gifts, love shots. Sorry, Jeff. I can't help it. You're sitting in front of me. This is what happens when you're in town and I preach. I get to refer to you all the time. All right. Uh, let's pray.
Lord, maybe we'd be ready to go places that we're not comfortable going. Lord, may we see people as people that you love. And Lord, help us to always keep ourselves out of the way. We thank you, Father, that we get to participate in this amazing conversation you're having in the world. And we ask, God, that you would grow us and make us strong in following you and being obedient to your love. Make us, Lord, emblems of your love to all of those who need acceptance and who need to know you. So here we pray. Amen.